for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Koslick, and today I'm coming to you with another Bar Cart foundations episode. That's right. These are the episodes that lay the groundwork for all the discussions we have with our excellent and truly knowledgeable guests as we chat about cocktails and home bartending. Today we'll acquaint ourselves with the magical world of citrus and all its tart, tangy glory. Now, most people are familiar with the use of citrus in their favorite cocktails, whether that's the orange peel garnish in your old-fashioned, the squeeze of lime in your mojito, or the pucker of lemon in your classic whiskey sour. But have you ever stopped to think about why we put citrus in our drinks? What role does it play? What would cocktails taste like without it? I'm going to begin today by taking you through the history and science of citrus, and then give you some excellent bar hacks to help you bring your citrus game to the next level. Specifically, we'll talk seasonality, how to select your citrus, and best practices for peeling and juicing. In July of 2016, I got the chance to attend a really fascinating seminar at Tales of the Cocktail down in New Orleans called From Grove to Glass, Citrus Complexity, and it was in this seminar that my eyes were opened to the sheer variety of citrus available on today's market. Think about it. Off the top of your head, you can probably rattle off like eight or 10 varieties. There's lemons, Meyer lemons, limes, key limes, navel oranges, mandarin oranges, white grapefruit, ruby red grapefruit, tangerines, and clementines, just to name the commercially popular ones here in the U.S., But like most modern produce, today's citrus is the result of centuries of careful breeding and genetic tweaking, selecting for the most desirable citrus traits like size, juiciness, sweetness, roundness, color, basically any feature that'll make you pick up an attractive looking fruit, eat it, say, dang, that was tasty, and purchase several more on your next trip to the market. Interesting confluence of genetics and market force. Several thousand years ago, though, we didn't have all these fancy, beautiful fruits. All we had were the pomelo, the mandarin, the citron, and an even more obscure fruit called the small-flowered papeda. Virtually all citrus on the market today can be traced back to some combinations of these genetic ancestors. And geographically speaking, most of these varieties originated in China or elsewhere in Southeast Asia and gradually made their way to other parts of the world, especially as different sub-varieties or cultivars developed and became popular. So in terms of the vast sweep of natural history from the Big Bang onward, or even honestly the history of humankind, citrus fruits are a relatively new phenomenon in most parts of the world. In her book, The Drunken Botanist, Amy Stewart observes As improbable as it may be to imagine the Mediterranean and North Africa without its citrus trees, Arab traders brought the sour orange, the lime, and the pomelo to the region only 800 to 1,000 years ago. The sweet orange came only 400 years ago when Portuguese traders carried it back from China. By this time, citrus was moving all over the world. 
And she's right, citrus played a really key role in the explosion of shipping and worldwide commerce that evolved as a direct result of the age of exploration. It literally kept early European sailors alive as they crisscrossed Atlantic and Pacific trade routes and built vast empires. Today, of course, we know citrus as a rich source of vitamin C, but back in the 17th and 18th century, people weren't really aware of vitamins or micronutrients and the important role they play in keeping us healthy. Now, this all started to change when British physician James Lind started conducting controlled experiments with the diets of sailors in the Royal Navy in 1747 and found that those who ate a diet that included fresh citrus fruits tended not to suffer from scurvy, a disease that killed an estimated 2 million sailors in the 16th through 18th centuries. Now, the Royal Navy didn't really buy Lind's citrus theory, but the famous naval explorer, Captain James Cook, was all about it. On Cook's epic voyage to the South Pacific from 1768 to 1771, think about it, three-year voyage in a wood boat, he loaded his ship with citrus and other foods recommended by Lind for a healthy nautical diet, and lo and behold, he didn't lose a single sailor to scurvy. So what were the implications of this newfound anti-scurvy regimen? Well, simply by virtue of its role in keeping sailors alive, citrus began popping up in ports all over the world, becoming available in areas of the New World almost as quickly as Europeans could colonize them. Another implication was that sailors and the companies who sponsored and managed their trade expeditions were able to experiment with the best ways to consume their citrus, and these experiments resulted in some of the most famous cocktail precursors, notably grog and punch. Almost every recipe for these drinks relies heavily on the presence of citrus, and that is a tradition that continues to exert its influence over the cocktails we enjoy to this day. So... Now that we know a bit more about where citrus comes from and how it made its way behind the bar, let's step out of the history books and into the flavor lab to figure out what these fruits add to our drink and how the magic happens. First, we'll look at the anatomy of a citrus fruit and define some vocab terms that we'll return to as we discuss cocktail-related applications. So picking up an orange or a lemon, say, and starting from the outside in, the outermost part of a citrus fruit is the peel, also called the zest, which contains small pores where the essential oils are stored, and these pores are often referred to as glands. Beneath that, we have what's called the pith, P-I-T-H, which is the spongy, astringent, and relatively flavorless layer that separates the peel from the flesh. This is often what partially remains when you peel an orange, and the amount of pith in a given citrus variety or individual fruit can vary based on any number of factors, including soil quality and meteorological growing conditions like rainfall and sun exposure. Beneath the pith is the flesh of the citrus fruit, and this is where the tangy juices are stored. The flesh is usually, most often, divided into segments that radiate out from a common center, and these segments also contain the seeds of the citrus fruit. So after you peel your orange and you kind of deconstruct it and you get all these little orange wedges, those are the, the sections that radiate out from that common center. Most often, it's the innermost and outermost parts of a citrus fruit, the juice and the peel, that are used when making cocktails or cocktail ingredients like bitters and liqueurs. And these two parts of the fruit are often used for drastically different purposes, which can be boiled down to the difference 
ultimately between flavor and taste. See, what most people don't know is that flavor and taste are very different. Taste deals with taste buds, which can sense sweet, sour, salty, bitter, and savory compounds, whereas flavor deals with aroma primarily and the way our scent processing or olfactory system fuses scent compounds with taste sensations to build a whole flavor picture in the brain. In fact, in the very next episode of this podcast, I sit down with a flavor researcher to talk about how this all works. So be sure to check that out once it's live. But back to the topic at hand. Because citrus juice is packed with acidity or sourness, it stimulates our taste buds. And because citrus zest contains a ton of volatile aromatic compounds and essential oils, it activates a whole slew of receptors in the human scent pathway. Again, responsible for flavor perception. The word acid comes from the Latin word acidus, meaning sour. And so even though there are a lot of other characteristics of acids, chemically speaking, it's clear that this sourness was probably the earliest recognized and certainly remains the most important when it comes to food and drink. The most common type of acid found in citrus fruits is citric acid, and this is what's known as an aqueous acid, meaning it, it's easily dissolved in water, forming an acidic solution. So when you taste lemon juice, what's happening is that the citric acid molecules dissolved in water are activating taste receptors on your tongue. The result is that pleasant, or perhaps unpleasant if the drink's not made well, tangy taste you get when you sip on a margarita or a whiskey sour, let's say. Now, citrus oils are sort of the opposite when it comes to how they interact with water. As we all know, oil and water don't mix, and so the flavor compounds found in the citrus peel are used very differently in cocktails. There's basically two approaches. The first is to use a non-water solvent like alcohol or glycerin to extract the flavorful oils from citrus peels. This is the case with bitters, vermouths, and liqueurs. And what happens is the alcohol in these products literally sucks the oils out of the peel and incorporates them into the flavor profile of the end product. Generally speaking, the more ethyl alcohol the mixture contains, the more powerful the extraction will be, resulting in an extremely potent end product. That's essentially bitters 101. The other common way to use citrus peels in cocktails is to employ their aromatic properties as a garnish. For example, in an old-fashioned, an orange peel is generally expressed over the top of the glass by squeezing the orange peel over the cocktail and rubbing it around the rim. The same is true of the lemon peel garnish in the classic gin martini, and most bartenders have a fierce stance of whether the peel should be left in the glass as a garnish or simply expressed and then discarded. Honestly, it's a matter of taste. Again, because oil and water don't mix, what happens when you use the citrus peel as something that's expressed, neither left in as a garnish or discarded, is the volatile scent compounds in the peel coat the rim of the glass and they float on the surface of the drink and give an incredibly fragrant flourish every time you take a sip. In this sense, garnishes aren't just there to look pretty, they also play an important role in the overall flavor experience of the drink. Sometimes you'll even see flaming citrus garnishes where the bartender will activate the citrus oils with a lighter, usually in an orange peel, and then express those oils over the flame, showering the top of the cocktail with a slightly burnt version of the traditional citrus oil flavor. It's a really nice parlor trick because it results in a nifty little fireball, especially in a dimly lit setting. 
But please note, this is a top level garnish move and it definitely falls into the don't try this at home category, at least as far as our podcast liability policy is concerned. So now that you know more about the history and science of citrus than about 95% of people out there, it's time to kick you into the top percentile with a few excellent bar hacks that'll help you seriously optimize your cocktail making and drinking experience. Let's start right at the beginning with your trip to the grocery store or market where you'll select and purchase your citrus. The first thing that many people don't know is at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, citrus is a winter fruit, which is to say citrus fruits become ripe when most of us in the continental US are breaking out our cold weather clothing. And yet somehow we associate the taste of citrus with summery beverages like lemonade, margaritas, and mojitos. Well, what are the implications of that? Well, for starters, you're generally gonna see lower citrus prices between November and March than you'll tend to see at other times throughout the year. So if you're a bargain hunter, winter is the time when you should think about busting out your citrus-heavy concoctions. In fact, pro tip, making a large bowl of citrus-forward punch is an excellent way to use the seasonality of citrus to help you impress your holiday guests with a pre-batched drink that leaves you free to mingle. But let's say you rush off to the grocery store to take advantage of those great seasonal prices. What happens when you get there and are faced with a mountain of lemons or limes? How do you know if they're ripe? How do you know that you're selecting the fruits that'll give you the most bang for your buck? First off, the squeeze test rarely fails. If you pick up a piece of citrus and it's hard as a rock, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of juice out of that particular fruit. So... If you're making cocktails that require a lot of citrus juice, go for softer fruits. Secondly, take a look at the nature of the citrus peel. If it's rough and bumpy, chances are it was picked a bit prematurely before the fruit could take on enough water to swell and stretch out the peel. On the other hand, if the peel is smooth and the pores or oil glands are spaced a bit further apart, chances are you're dealing with a riper fruit. Now, do you look like a bit of a maniac digging through a pile of limes and squeezing them and looking intently at the pores? Absolutely. But these are the public sacrifices we make for our cocktails. So you've arrived home with your citrus hall now. Where do you store it? If your first thought is in the refrigerator, then think again. Unless you're planning on waiting over a week to use your lemons, limes, or grapefruits, then there's really no reason to refrigerate. Think about how they were displayed at the market. They're just kind of hanging out at room temperature like the onions and potatoes. So why should they get special treatment in your home? In fact, there's a very simple reason why not to refrigerate your citrus. Room temperature fruits are easier to juice than cold ones. Now, when it comes to the amount of juice in each fruit, this is where things can get a bit dicey or at least inaccurate. The amount of juice you can extract depends on a number of variables, but there are a couple of things you can do to optimize your output here. One, if you're dealing with cold citrus, stick it in the microwave for 10 or 15 seconds to get the juices flowing. There are a few theories on why this works, but the basic principle is that molecules get excited in the presence of heat and tend to move around faster. That's why snow melts when it gets warm and why water evaporates when it gets hot. It's also in theory, why citrus is easier to juice when it's warm. Two, before you cut into the fruit, give it a nice firm roll on the counter or the cutting board to mash up some of the flesh on the inside. This makes it a bit pulpier and kind of annoying to slice into if you're using a paring knife, but it really does increase the amount of juice you can get. 
three, use a citrus press, plain and simple. This is the best way to juice your citrus unless you have access to an industrial juicer. For more on citrus presses and other tools, check out episode two, which is our foundations episode on Barkhart hardware. Four, after you think you've gotten all the juice out of a half a lemon or a lime, think again. When I'm juicing limes, for example, I rejuice every two or three lime halves, depending on size, by reloading them into the citrus press in their flattened state. This can yield anywhere between an extra quarter to a half an ounce of juice, which is actually pretty substantial, especially if you're making a large format cocktail. And the reason this works is because with all those mostly exhausted fruits piled into the press right next to one another, they don't have enough room to kind of flatten out again, and they give up those last few drops of juice they managed to escape with the first time. So you've got your citrus juice. Now comes the part where you have to beautify it before using it in a cocktail. And this part isn't always necessary, but it really improves the appearance of the drink and the mouthfeel as well. And when I say beautify, I simply mean straining out the pieces of pulp that manage to sneak in during the juicing process. Plain and simple. All you got to do is strain it. So if you're making a single cocktail, this can easily be done by filtering your citrus juice through a small fine meshed sieve when you add the citrus juice to the shaker or the mixing pint with the other ingredients. Easy fix, problem solved. But what about if you're juicing a ton of citrus for a large format cocktail or punch? Having found myself in that situation many times, here's my personal bar hack. I start with a large non-reactive plastic mixing bowl so that I don't have my acidic citrus juice sitting in a reactive metal container. Into that mixing bowl, I place a large fine meshed strainer, the kind you use for culinary purposes. When pressing my citrus, I make sure the citrus juice goes through the strainer and then into the bowl, which usually removes at least 90% of the pulp. That's usually just fine for a bowl of punch, but you can always do a second pass through a little cocktail sieve if you really want to. This method is extremely useful for lemons, I find, which tend to have more pulp and seeds to contend with than limes do. Now for my citrus peel hacks. This first one's going to sound a little extreme, but there's actually a really big difference in the structural resilience of lemon peels and orange peels, which are the two most commonly used for expressed garnishes. Unless you slice them really thin, orange peels will generally hold up to squeezing and twisting pretty well. Lemon peels, on the other hand, tend to snap in half when you express them unless you have a bit of pith on the back. Honestly, the only way to learn this is practice, and the the only way to get a good consistent peel that you like is to try different peelers and use different amounts of pressure when you peel. So, if anyone out there has a good uh, garnish hack or a favorite peeler, give us a shout out at Modern Barker on Instagram and share them with us and we'll test them out and share them with our audience if we like them as well. Now, what happens if you need a bunch of peel garnishes, but you don't have time to peel them all at the time you make the cocktail? One simple solution is to peel ahead of time and to store them in a plastic bag in the fridge wrapped in a moist paper towel. This is good for only a few hours, but Those few hours can be a lifesaver if you're making a lot of drinks, allowing you to do some prep work ahead of time. My last peel hack is a cocktail ingredient recommendation, and the ingredient is called oleosaccharum, literally oily sugar, and you can make this at home by peeling two lemons into a Tupperware and then coating the peel with a generous amount of white table sugar. 
muddle the sugar and the peels together, and then let them sit for a few hours on the counter. When you come back, what you'll find is a syrupy substance that's essentially a combination of sugar and the essential lemon oils. Oleosaccharum has a lot of applications in traditional punches, which you can find recipes for in David Wondrich's book, Punch. But it's also fun to play around with oleosaccharum as you experiment with your own cocktail recipes as well. So there you have it. From the store to the cocktail glass, you've now got a full arsenal of bar hacks to help you take your citrus game to the next level. But it would be a bit cruel of me to take you all this way without giving you a few of my favorite citrus forward cocktail recipes. Let's start with a simple, easy to learn classic called the daiquiri, which is a light summery cocktail that's incredibly easy to make and super refreshing. The ingredients are two ounces of white rum, one ounce lime juice, half ounce simple syrup. All you do is combine these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give it a good healthy shake, and strain it into a stemmed cocktail or coupe glass to enjoy. There's just something elegantly simple about a good daiquiri, but sometimes I like to throw a nice herbal garnish on it like basil or rosemary just to add some flair. Another great citrusy cocktail is the sidecar, which has two types of citrus involved, representing both the citrus juice and the essential oils component. The ingredients for the sidecar are two ounces of cognac or brandy, one ounce of orange liqueur like Cointreau or Grand Marnier, and three quarters ounce of lemon juice. Now you shake all these ingredients over ice and serve them up in a nice cocktail glass. What I find is that tart lemon juice lifts and balances the sweet, mellow flavors of the cognac and the orange liqueur, making for a really nice year-round sipper. And for optional flair and sweetness, you can also add a sugared rim, which makes the uh, glass really pop, and each sip takes on that super sweet characteristic. Finally, I'll leave you with the advanced option. My favorite cocktail of all time the last word. This is a funky, challenging, and really intriguing cocktail that uses equal parts of all ingredients. One ounce gin, one ounce maraschino liqueur, one ounce green chartreuse, and one ounce lime juice. Combine all these ingredients in a mixing pint with ice and stir for about 30 seconds until everything is well mixed and chilled, and then you strain into a cocktail glass and enjoy without any garnishes or adornments. If you've never had this cocktail before, the last word will blow you away with a flavor profile you've probably never even imagined. It constantly evolves on the palate and it's got a unique green color in the glass that's really gorgeous to look at. Of course, the ingredients for this cocktail are pretty expensive, so this might not be the one you start off with if you're just beginning your cocktail journey. So, you've got the history. You've got the anatomy, you've got the chemistry, the bar hacks, and the recipes, and I just can't imagine anything else I can possibly give you in the wide world of citrus except the encouragement to get out there and start experimenting. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. I just want to remind you that this episode might be over, but the journey and the discussion are just beginning. If you're excited about the content in this or any other episode, please tell us. Follow us on Instagram at Modern Bar Cart for recipes and great product tips, or stalk me personally at Quixologist. That's Q-U-I-X-ologist. 
You can also like us on Facebook by searching Modern Bar Cart or hit us up directly via email by sending a note to podcast at modernbarcart.com. That email address, by the way, is also the one that you should use if you've got any cocktail or home bartending related questions you'd like us to address, or if you think you have a unique perspective on the cocktail world and would like to be interviewed for all to hear. I'll see you next time, but until then, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. Boldly.